Hello. Oh, your face is huge. I know. Well, it it came up on my phone rather than. Oh. Can you? Is can you send me a? I can email? do the link thing. Yeah, I think the no, first no, thing no. it offers you is like call that person. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'll I'll hang up and then I'll just send you the link. Hang on. That's nice light. Yeah, I don't know why it's not quite as yellow through my eyes, but you know, I look I look like I'm in some sort of bucolic painting. Yeah, that's nice. Whereas I've got very harsh white lighting on me. You do, you do. It exposes all your flaws. Yeah. So that was that was a full start we just had. Oh, are you recording? Yeah, I'm. I'm recording all of this. Okay. Yeah. I know I'll have to edit a lot of things out because you are profane. Are we allowed to be rude? Oh no, I think you can. I think you can be rude. I just think that because you're excessively profane. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Most of the time, it's a bit of a. It's more. It's an attention-seeking thing, really. Yeah, definitely. Let me see what the lights like if I turn my other screen off. Has that changed at all? No, it's pretty much the same. Okay, I'm not. Cause... I'm not recording the video though, so you no know, one has to see the faces. Oh, it's only the. Oh. Wait. <laughs> I just I've... thought that it might be nice to 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 like have an actual Skype call, but also I I'm find this less like more enjoyable than talking on the phone for some reason. I don't know. I think I'm just a pervert. I I'd, I'd much prefer talking on a on a Skypey chat yeah. kind of thing than the phone. My ear gets very hot. That's actually my main complaint. Mm. Uh, I, I just get hot ear, and it's one of my least favorite things. Just the one, the one ear, and then the other ear is just, cold, and you got to balance them out. Just the one ear. I'm just wait a second. I just accidentally pressed F12, and it's now displaying uh, what this Google Hangout would look like on an iPhone six. <laughs> Why? Reason? <laughs> I don't know. It's the developer tools for um, for for Google Chrome, but um, it's the, the magic iPhone button. Um, I don't know. Fuck it. It's oh. No, fuck off. That's not working. All right, let's See, just I, carry on. I told you you were, you were profane. I know. Well, I, you know, I, I, the people I spend time with in the day are all very sort of professorial and um, mm. and academic. You can't go throwing tits and willies around. <laughs> no, <laughs> unless you're doing you know well. tits and willy studies. Unless, yeah, unless that's part of your critical vocabulary, then. Yeah. You can't be bringing out the bums and bums and nipples. <laughs> so you're listening to the Sherman Report. I'm going to call it the Sherman Report. <laughs> Why? But I'm not reporting anything unless you ask me about my day. Well, how was your day? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> there you go. That's episode yeah. one down in the can. <laughs> Done. All finished. Yeah. No, I, um, I had two ideas for a name, which is either the Sherman Report or Shermanos. So like Hermanos, but with an S on the front. Because like I've been like that. I've been learning Spanish. Oh really? How's it going? It's okay, it's all right. Yeah, yo, yo, Leo Libros. See, muy bien. See, um, qué libro. Soy cangrejo. You are. No, you're not. <laughs> Um, it's oh. good, but now I'm using Duolingo, which is the little, the app that I've been using to, 
to brush up on French because I've been reading, com- trying to read comics in French again, stuff that isn't out again. And I was like, why don't I just do 10 minutes of Spanish every day? So I've done okay. that. But there was a bit of slowdown there on the Google Hangouts and you sounded like a really lazy robot. So just uh, so you know. I know that, I that's just how I get in the evening. Really, you you lag in real life. Yeah, I feel like I lag in real life sometimes. I feel like the way that digital technology is going is that that's going to happen eventually. Like we'll all just eventually become so reliant on Wi-Fi that like it will have to power everything, but it won't be good enough. So you'll be like trying to stream all your bodily functions over four (laughs) G. I I quite like the idea of streaming your bodily functions. But I think otherwise you're just you're just describing what the world's like now. We do rely on Wi-Fi for everything and it's never good enough. It's just ludicrous how much we've come to rely on it and yet we just don't have the infrastructure yeah. or the technology to make it work at scale. No, I mean even like when four G came out a year or two ago, you felt like that was this huge revolution. It's so much faster than three G and it is when it works. But on my train journey into London in the morning, it still drops at the same points it's it's no better really i mean i've got i've got 4g on my phone and it just doesn't work anywhere that i go it's it works in central london and that's it and everyone thinks i'm always ignoring my phone or that i'm screening calls and most of the time i just don't get them and they just don't come through and i'm paying quite a lot of money for 4g every month and I feel like you should get a discount if you don't live in London because yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. It's very it's very weighted toward towards the urban people, isn't it? The urban people. Yeah. Well, and it's the same with broadband service as well. Like Are you you'd... talking about the rappers. <laughs> yeah, rappers. They've got all the the smartphones and all the bling and all that stuff. They do. They have the the gold iPhone, um, which I think may be the totem of late capitalism. <laughs> the gold um, iPhone. The like, golden iPhone. The totem of late capitalism is that thing that Will I Am invented that clips onto your iPhone. That's like a big gold camera that costs five hundred pounds. I could really say some rude words about William right now. <laughs> but I, uh, we we've been there before, haven't we? I, we should probably explain that I refuse Will I Am because he's trying to force everyone to say a normal name differently for his own personal brand. So I feel like in some sort of cosmic way, I'm slightly annoying him every time I say William instead of Will I Am. Yeah, definitely. So He's furious about it. Just not not furious each time, but it's sort of a, a, a micron of annoyance every single time that I do it. And it just re- it relays across the cosmos to him. Yeah. One day he might get slightly annoyed and he won't know why. And it will be because for my entire life, I've been calling him William. <laughs> It'll waft towards him like a fart on the breeze. Anyway, he's a bellend. Um, the other, I, actually, no, maybe the totem of late capitalism is German guy who will cast your anus in, in, in gold. <laughs> Who's that? that? I've seen it's that happening. I didn't realise it was a German guy. It was some German guy, I think. Uh, Werner Herzog. It. He, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah um, his sideline is um yeah he pours i don't know how he does it i i was about to say he pours liquid gold into uranus but that would be a safer way of doing that yeah um well didn't um Jimi hendrix make like a plaster cast of his penis so you can buy a sort of plaster hendrix cock 
So maybe they do it that way. They they do like a plaster cast on it, so that wouldn't hurt as much as gold. Probably that still painful though. I I th- it wouldn't be nice. I just wouldn't be comfortable having someone that close. No, it. both for their sake and mine. I think <laughs> I just feel sorry for them that this, that was their job. Yeah, well, may- maybe they're into it. I think that's the same reason that I don't go and get beauty routines done on me because I feel a bit sorry for the poor the poor sod who has to, you know, administer to my horrific body. You're saying that, but I know you've had Botox. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just I, I've only had Botox on my outer thighs. Mm-hmm. The only place I needed it. You want them to be really hard so that when like a cat sits on your lap, it can't get comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's just to piss off cats. I'm also getting uh, subdermal implants, so I have like seven hips. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how name. you be a real hipster. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, the literal the hipster, of, the, the king of the hipsters. Yeah, I think that we should put a ban on the use. I know that that was in service to a joke, and it was good, but I yeah. think we should put a ban on using the word hipster in this podcast. Mm, I, I I agree, and I think we should have a, a kind of a moratorium on it in general. Although to be honest, I don't. I try not to use it as a term for the exact reasons I think that you are thinking of when you say that, because it's just kind of a really misunderstood and misused term that dates back to like what the forties or fifties, something like that. I've heard about six different etymologies for it, but it's just it's just a meaningless term now. I mean, if surely if something. And I know that's been said before a lot, but if you if you use a term without defining that term, really, if you, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of times, it literally just becomes a cipher for nothing. And that's the problem with hipster is that everyone used it and assumed that everyone knew what what was meant by it. And people had a general idea of what was meant by a hipster, but it has just come to mean any middle class person who's under 40 who listens to music and wears clothes <laughs> basically yeah do you, know, do you know what i mean like anyone it it's a term that's in service of whatever the particular agenda of the user is that's how i feel yeah it can very much be used to describe anything that's kind of not part of not you know regular kind of old cold play mainstream isn't it sorry Coldplay. well exactly and now it's it's entering its sort of dying echoes and it's being it's reverberating around like the newspapers you know old media and that's when you know that you need to stop using the term when they've caught on to it yeah and, well um a few I, months ago at work i was um you know how i don't pair my socks so quite often i end up I wearing not, two different colored socks i didn't know how did we go an entire year of living together and I never found out that you don't pay your socks. Well, I think it, well, I think at that point, I used to just buy like a hundred pack of black socks from a cheapo shop and just keep wearing them over and over. So it didn't matter that I didn't pair them because they're all the same color. But that's an amazing idea. Now that I'm a grown ass adult, I have <laughs> socks with various patterns and colors and yeah. stuff. You know, I like to mix it up. I get bought quite fancy socks for Christmas. You know, relatives treat me well in the sock department, so I have lots of quite different socks. But I still don't pair them because I feel like I don't have, I don't have time. Not in a kind of like I'm trying to be like, oh, I'm so busy, look at me kind of way, but more that I just, I just don't bother. I just like to just grab a couple of socks and just roll with it. So I often end up wearing like one red sock and one green sock or whatever, and the rest, the rest of me is smart enough. But I was in the lift at work a couple of months ago, 
and um, there were two two sort of members of staff who were maybe I would say in their forties, and they sort of looked at my socks and were like, "Oh, that, is that a hipster thing?" Yeah, and I said, "Oh no, no, I just no, I just don't, I just don't bother to pair them." And they acted like that, that 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 was really funny. That was like a big joke to them because they obviously didn't believe me that it wasn't a hipster thing, whatever a hipster thing means in that context. But, but isn't, that isn't they thought that, it was conscious, I quite liked. But isn't that the point of a hipster thing? Is that it's it's supposed to be, if not if not unintentional, uncultivated. So you saying, oh well, you know, it's just I'm too lazy to pair my socks. In a way, makes it even more of a hipster thing. In yeah, their eyes. maybe I don't know. We've said the word hipster a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> It's like it's a it's a hipster podcast already. It is a hipster podcast. Uh, um, yeah. So here so we yeah. are. So what are we going to talk about? Well, I've I've got a Google document open in which I I made some some notes yeah. Um, yeah. of things I wanted to ask you because I think I feel like we I want to have recurring topics and things that we talk about each week, but I want still want to play kind of fast and loose with it and just to have a chat. Because I listen to a lot of podcasts like that, where it's just a kind of a lot of two guys talking kind of stuff, but it always has a vague focus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, but I think we need to get used to uh, talking in this. I mean, I don't think I've ever talked to you. I barely, I've barely ever spoken to you over the phone. I think the most we've ever spoken mm. over the phone has been when I'm late to get to a gig, <laughs> and then I'm going <laughs> to shout at you. Organize them. Yeah, yeah, and then I'm worried you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna holler at me down the phone. Yeah, and the phone calls have been about three seconds long, and I've certainly never spoken to you over video chat. So it's a it's a whole new uh, paradigm in our friendship. It definitely is, and I I actively avoid talking on the phone as well, as you know. So with any with everyone, anyone like I never call anyone. People sometimes call me, like I will talk to my parents occasionally, and Claire will call me if we're not together in the same place if one of us has gone away and like oh i'll get through that and it's fine but i feel like the video chat makes it a bit more relaxed i think that's quite yeah it's a nice it's a nice way to do it but one of the topics that i had written down here was sort of that exact subject it was kind of i put down millennials talking on the phone etc most of the two guys talking podcasts i like are by gen x types who seem to enjoy talking on the phone so they sort of wonder whether it like it's a generational thing apparently like millennials so people our age and younger maybe like are less comfortable talking on the phone i wonder if you agree with that and why you think that is so i phrased that like an interview question like, an, like i'm interviewing you for a job but you, you what you can interview me for a job you could yeah. you could interview me for a different job each each time we talk okay and at the end you have to tell me if i've got it or not okay this week's so the, job is my butler it's always going to be your butler, though. You're always making offers for me to be your butler, and I you're never you're never going to get the job. I don't. Well, I don't need the job. I'm quite happy not being your butler. It doesn't pay well. It's no, a zero I, hours I contract. Imagine, I can imagine you're not very rich, so that's I'm not surprised. Um, millennials. I don't know. I mean, why the why do we talk about? groups of people in enormous homogenous lumps it's not i just don't think it's useful i do i definitely think that there a lot of the people that i know that are our age don't like speaking on the phone and i thought that when i used to say that, and i felt like that since i was sort of a teenager at which 
one might start talking a lot on the phone to friends or to girls or whatever it is. Um, and I thought that it was, I was sort of quirky, not that I was affecting it. I genuinely hated it, but I thought that most people would find that weird, but actually you and a lot of my other friends also feel the same. It's actually the minority of people our age who enjoy having a letter on the phone. Sarah, for example, loves chatting on the phone. She will, do it for, she will do it for hours with, with other people. Um, and obviously her and I talk a lot, usually on Skype when we're apart. But um, it's interesting, actually. My, my second tutor in my PhD is a human-computer interaction specialist. Wow. Dr. Dr. Leon Watts, you should go and look up. He works at Bath. We'll put that in and the show notes. There we go. And he, he, his focus is in how human beings interact over the medium of money. So he looks at long distance relationships a lot. And his interest is in relationships where there's an emotive quality. So not communicating through email with a work colleague about a work thing, um, but actually trying to interact with an e another human being with whom you have an emotional relationship, mm. not necessarily romantic or sexual, um, but an emo um, emotional relationship. Um, and you're talking about things that might involve emotions, not necessarily strong emotions, and how technology can mediate that, how it can spoil that, how it can make things worse, how it can make things better. And he, he works on projects designed to sort of improve human relationships through technology that they are mediated through. That's see what interesting because um, I heard at work the other day, our head of digital told me that the fastest growing communication amongst social networks and new ways of communication online is not sort of public stuff like Twitter or Facebook or Facebook in as much as you can post things for a thousand people to see. But it's one to one messaging is where the majority of Internet communication goes. Right. And that well, there are now new social networks trying to to jump on that as a trend so there's this new one called peach have you heard of this i have not i'm really i feel like i'm such a granddad when it comes to social media it's i i'm reserving judgment on it i've joined it and my only friend is our friend adam get up while you're, get up while you're talking Carry and on. what it is is i think i've only got the iphone app i don't know if you can get it on browser but on first glance it looks like a fisher price twitter which is kind of a mean <laughs> way to put it oh, it's quite it's sort of bright colors but it's it's got an inbuilt um, like GIF lookup thing, so you can look up animated GIFs. Like you could just go GIF prints, and then a picture of prints will come up or whatever. And it's got like good, really good emoji and stuff. So you can do a basic text post, but the idea is that you're supposed to be communicating with people using emojis and GIFs and videos, and it's all supposed to be a lot more visual than it is um, text based. And it's focused more on talking to one or a small group of select group of people at a time rather than just crapping a message out to your 1800 twitter followers there was another um i just had a look and i i agree with you that it looks like fisher price um it looks quite japanese actually but that might just be because of all the emojis mm, i don't know where it's come from um there was another social network i can't remember what it was called was it called path or something like that another oh. monosyllabic word um <laughs> Bunk. and it was and it was designed to be a sort of more personal facebook so it was a more curated group of 
friends or circle of friends, um, which had, again, a lot of the functionality that's in every social network. Um, yeah, but that, that looks quite interesting. I mean... It seems to be paring things down rather than trying to do everything, which I think is more... Yeah. Like, people want more of a focus now because people are starting to think. I don't know if you agree that we're at kind of peak content. There's too much crap around. We need to start focusing on things and, you know, everyone needs to choose things, be selective with how they spend their time. So if you can spend that time with a small number of people you're intimate with rather than a thousand people on Facebook, some of whom are your old school friends who you never really knew but are interested to know that they're now racist or whatever, you know, it cuts out all of that stuff. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like looking at this, though, it's not not necessarily putting the cart before the horse but it's I feel like this service already exists in 500 other forms i mean i mean okay having gif look up that's useful but look, there's quite a few services that have yeah GIF slack has that which is the the messaging app for teams have you ever used that uh no i haven't but i've uh, i've seen it uh i know a couple of people who i have worked with used it in their teams we use it for um, um, my band palomino club we that's where we do all our band admin and it is just wonderful but we'll usually only get about three sentences in before someone just drops in a gif because it gives you like you go like slash giffy and then the word and then it just gives you a random gif and they're often really strange and there's some quite weird ones in the gif bank or whatever so we just end up trading but there are there are good, there are GIF lookup sites, aren't there, where you can... Yeah, well, it links to Giphy, G-I-P-H-Y, which is the main... This is the engine that's powering all of these sites. So it's like right, they're just okay. using Giphy's API. Yeah, it's, I mean, and that's interesting, but the, the, this idea that, oh, we're providing a way for you to talk to just a few friends um, and trade emojis and GIFs. I mean, Giphy's plugging into other APIs, or sorry, the Giphy API is plugging into other things, um, and emojis are now part of the vo technical vocabulary of most devices. So I feel like, well, people can do this. They can do it on Hangouts. They can do it on Snapchat. Somebody's just forced me to get WhatsApp, um, yeah, which is same. just another way for me to hate my phone, but I understand why people like it. Yeah, not, I, I was forced to get WhatsApp to join this group of people that was like planning for a, a wedding that I went to in the summer. And I've, I've never really used it since. I don't get why you wouldn't just text someone. But you can have groups and stuff, I guess. But again, it looks to me like Fisher-Price texting. But Yeah, it's, it's just another reason for my phone to beep at me. It's another thing for me to to caretake if you know what i mean i feel like i'm a, i feel like my phone is this tiny baby that i'm or this tiny i'm like the janitor of a tiny school mm. and every app is like a different classroom and they keep all getting messy and my life is just going between classrooms with a mop yeah clearing up and there are a lot of like boring classrooms yeah. that you can't delete like the stocks classroom who wants yeah. that <laughs> yeah oh i don't know i don't know i have an android so i uh I don't have to actually. I can't delete any of the fucking Google apps. Oh uh, yeah. So um, either way, there's some stuff in the ecosystem that you can't get rid of. I tell you what's interesting that we should talk about. I've just realised. So I just use the word janitor. That's with, an American word. Care, which is the American word. Well, I did use caretaker first of all, but I use janitor. And I wonder what you think about the Americanisms coming into English speech. That is English for country rather than the language. Um, 
because my my mum hates it. My mum thinks it's the worst thing since non-sliced bread. <laughs> um, Has and... your mum also signed a petition to stop Kanye West playing at Glastonbury? <laughs> Bad grammar is only slightly higher on the list than uh, Americanisms or losing English words. And I feel, and I don't mean this as an insult, I just, just mean it as an observation. You as somebody who um, a lot of your language and your intonation, I feel, sits on the other side of the Atlantic, mm. which I think, which I've noticed from being friends with you. And I think that that's, I don't know why that is. I guess you, you read a lot of American and Canadian comics. You listen to a lot of American music and, but I do it as well. I feel that sometimes it depends who I'm with. If I'm with very posh English friends, I speak like a posh English person. If I'm with my school friends, I speak with a sort of South London twang. Cause that's how we all spoke and some still speak. Um, I, I think I, I have not. I don't really care about Americanization of words that much, as you can tell. By what I was getting at with the Kanye comment was Indeed. actually um, towards. Sorry, I'm just turning myself up here. I'm looking at the looking at the the sound wave, and you were louder than me. It's not a competition, but you know. Um, yeah. So what I was getting at with the Kanye point was that I think. Being like, oh, I'm really against the Americanization. It's a terrible thing. Is that actually that that's just kind of an inherent conservatism that I don't really subscribe to. I think we consume. There is so much media and so much content and so much culture from North America that is coming over here, and vice versa. That I think we're just all moving a little bit closer in that way. And I don't think that like our nationally national identities and language and stuff will ever be compromised. But yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal. But and me personally I yeah you're right I consume a lot of media from North America and I'm really invested in a lot of it as well especially like a lot of bands that I really like uh, American or Canadian especially um, bands like the weaker thans a, a lot of the bands that really like really connect with are either American or Canadian so I think I've picked up their styles of singing maybe mm. even though I always sing with my English voice and I don't affect my voice much when I sing I think I've still picked up the odd inflection I guess and yeah, and you are singing a style of music I think the sort of when you're playing as yourself not in Palomino necessarily yours the style of music is I think an inherently American one yeah definitely That's aesthetically fine. I mean I don't I don't agree with my mum but I feel like I don't completely agree with you either. I was reading a book a couple of months ago, and I can't remember the term. It was talking about language and how language change. And there are two schools of thought, obviously. There are, I can't remember what they're called. They're called the determin. it's the deterministic and the something else, I'm not sure. Basically one saying, language needs to be controlled by the people who use it, use it whether mm -hmm. that's controlling its change or deciding what changes and what stays the same. And then there's the other the other argument, which is language is just constantly evolving. It's always changing. And we shouldn't try to influence it in any way. And I feel like I'm sat in the middle of those two things. I think that the fact that America is a, a sort of global cultural superpower, I think my gut reaction is for any for any culture to hold such a sway over the world uh, is a little bit grotesque. But actually, it's just a fact. That that's just what the, the world is. I'm not talking about the quality of American culture versus any other. Um, I don't like the 
I don't like how monolithic it is, but it's also just a fact. That's just the way the world is going. And I'm not, I don't feel that it's a bad thing if people are necessarily just a bad thing if people are picking up Americanisms or changing their intonation. But I also don't think that it's just natural and we should just forget about it because language is something that's used by human beings. Yes, we often use it unconsciously, but we also use it consciously. And things are being lost if we, if we're, putting to one side English phrases and replacing them with American ones, it's not necessarily bad, but it's also wrong to say that nothing is being lost or nothing is being No, you're, you're right. I think of those two schools of thought, I lean towards the second one. So to thinking that language is constantly evolving and changing and picking stuff up from all sorts of places. And it's not just from, you know, from America. There's There are slang words that develop in England in urban areas that... that then become part of the mainstream language and then people complain about those and you know that kind of thing happens so I lean towards thinking that language is always evolving but I don't you know I wouldn't go as far as to say we don't need to preserve things because I would never want to lose any great words or great phrases or anything but mm. um, I think sometimes there are some American expressions that are just really stupid that I wish people would not say or confusion over things like a lot of you find that Americans quite often say I could care less, when what they mean is, I couldn't care less. Have you ever noticed that? I haven't noticed that. Like, that gives me the absolute rage, because it's like, yeah. if, if you could care less, well, you could care less. Obviously, like, that means you do care about a thing, but they're using it to say they don't care about a thing. They don't even think about it. Well, I feel like that's an example of, I couldn't care less, being a complete semantic unit, which you can just drop in without thinking about the components. So yeah. if you miss, if you've misheard it or you don't quite remember it well enough, you can you say you say something that's close to it, and for you that stands as the same semantic user. It doesn't matter that you've changed things within it, but obviously it does because it it maybe that's why I haven't noticed it is because people have said it and I've thought my brain has translated it into I couldn't care less and I've recognised it. And I think people get away with it on that on that basis, but they shouldn't mm. be. I think the main problem with losing English phrases and words is that it's always a shame to lose them. But it's not, not the fact that they're inferior. It's just the fact that the culture is weighted so that they aren't used. Hmm. And this American culture or the American product or whatever it is, um, but the uh, the answer is you can't preserve these things artificially. I mean, you can you can give language lessons and and teach people the American the uh, sorry the English ways of saying things or the Scottish ways of saying things or whatever it is the non-American ways of saying things. But once people dip into this slipstream of life where you're using language without really thinking about it and you're being influenced by everything that's around you and the people that's around you, you can't just stop that change happening yeah and it, it has to be historicized doesn't it i mean you, you you can drop the word jack and apes into casual conversation as much as you like it's not coming back because a japanese jack and apes doesn't exist anymore you know I, I i think i think there's a lot of words that should come back and i think there's nothing wrong with being deliberate about it i mean people can call it affected but that all that affected means is that i'm not using language unconsciously I'm using language consciously to make a point. Mm. And that's, uh, and this comes back to the idea of hipsterdom, I think, is that people 
one of the reasons that people get so annoyed about it is the affectation. It's taking cultural things from other contexts uh, or lost contexts or, or just, but yeah, just other contexts and using them uh, for effect rather than anything else. Yeah, but exactly. You don't want to be the person who's going, who's affecting it just to get the hipster cred. And I think people wrongly read it that way quite a lot of the time, I guess, because they have this idea of hipsterdom as being performative in that way. But I, I, if I look at my writing, I... I use a lot of quite consciously English and sometimes a bit old-fashioned ways of speaking. Um, you talk about knaves quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's a knave, knave in every sentence. Um, but I, it's not. Well, it is for effect, but it's also because in my head, that's the way. That's the way my head speaks. That's the only way I can put it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't like it when I catch myself speaking in an American way. That's just my way of thinking mm. about it. It's not actually a bad thing for me to speak like that. I'm just a human being in a in in a, the course of history, being influenced by what's around me. Um, there's nothing good or bad about that intrinsically. No, but I, I can't lie that my reaction to it is, oh, why am I speaking like an American? Which why is fine, as as long as you don't think that it's intrinsic and it's kind of binary and it's one or the other. That's the that's I guess the the worry is that you could fall into a trap of that and then suddenly you're a racist granddad at Christmas ruining it for everyone. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, what was I going to say? Some Something profound. I was going to say something profound. No, all I was going to say was that I do the same thing as you. That If I'm with a bunch of posh English people, I posh it up a bit. If I'm with some Cockneys, I Cockney it up a bit. You know, if I'm with my North American <laughs> friends, which I have quite a few, um, I think I start picking up a bits of their language as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's a that's a very human thing. In fact, I was having this conversation with somebody else the other day about how there's this idea that I think is perpetuated by sort of self help help books and advice books and things like that of saying that you there is a core self, there is a core you, and that you must be true to it no matter what, no matter what situation you're in. Um, for a long time, I felt like I acted, I, I spoke and acted differently and thought differently depending on who I was with. Yeah, and I thought that that, looking at that advice, that makes me a false person or somebody who's affecting a personality. But really, we're different people. We are genuinely different people when we are with different, different friends or different, different influences. That we we genuinely are. 10 or 12 different people all bound up who just happen to have the same body. That's how I think about it. And that actually doesn't matter if we act in one way with another person, you know, human beings are socially adaptive animals. We change, we change things about ourselves to fit in, but that's always seems bad, but it's literally just a biological reaction to, Oh, I'm in a new group. They're acting like this. I'll probably get along better with them if I act subtly differently. We, that's and that's a subconscious thing we go through but we we see that as a bad thing and yeah. I, I find that really interesting and like life is situational and that's the thing that nobody really wants to wants to admit I think in terms of those those self-help help books and this idea that is perpetuated about the self is that you can be the same person in every situation but of course you can't you can't go into work and start swearing all over the place you know I you know uh, at home I don't wear my suit you know, there's there's 
every every little bit of your life is performative in some way, but that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. And the idea of there being multiple versions of you um, is actually, I think, something that people are starting to think about more. Interestingly, in the last week since the death of David Bowie, because he was someone who was constantly reinventing himself and coming up with all of these new ways to be. You know, he went from being you know, the space guy to the thin white duke or whatever. I'm going to get lots of emails from like Bowie fans now because I don't know all the things about him because I was never a huge fan but of his music, but I feel like he was this incredible icon. And a lot of the kind of inspirational tweets post his death that I've seen going around have been ones that have been like, it's, it's okay to reinvent yourself constantly because David Bowie did it. Yeah, I agree. But David Bowie was in a rather privileged position of being an international pop star and it sort of in the end became expected of him surely after the first became expected being part of the act to transform himself i don't think ordinary humans can do that well they can they can do it but they i don't know if it's that they risk a lot that people won't accept them but you know what it's like when you try any this is a really banal example but when you try a new thing when you wear something that you don't usually wear and you you go and see your friends mm -hmm. you're trying your experiment it's a very small experiment in trying to be someone else because even though it's just a hat or it's just a scarf it can make it, the, the effect it can have on your psyche is immense but you will get shot down for it friends will say Oh well, you know what the hell is that? Why are you wearing that? Yeah, your Indiana new fedora makes you look like a men's rights activist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, so it is quite hard. And obviously, you can say, "Hey, fuck you guys! I'm I, I'm going to do what I like." But then it, you come back to the the thing about affectation, and maybe this is just because I am a very anxious person. Um, but I I feel like if somebody pulls pulls me up on it everything that that scarf or whatever it was represented is sort of deflated. It mm. gets deflated and I can't enter that. I can't use it to build my self-confidence anymore. I can't use it to change who I am. I also think the other thing about Bowie, which a lot of people have said is that he was a really astute businessman. It's not like he was this, this free floating, apparently could be very ruthless. I have to admit, I know mm -hmm. fuck all about Bowie. I'm not, I'm not a fan of his, yeah. uh, well, what's oh. interesting about that is that the reason he became like that is because his first manager or business partner screwed him over and like made him or Bowie signed this contract, didn't really know what he was signing and it signed all the rights over to this other guy who screwed him out of millions of pounds. So after that, really? he then became this kind of shrewd businessman in response to that is what I read. It might and that's not be totally true. And I'm not I'm an expert looking... either. Oh, right. Okay. Well, but, I mean, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with, with planning your career. I mean, whatever you your art is your career, then you've got to treat it like a business. And that doesn't mean selling out or whatever that means or or or, or being being sort of a soulless bloodsucker or whatever it is that m might be the cliche that goes with that. I don't know. I, I... Well, the concept of selling out doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, a lot of my PhD is on this, but about how people in, in comics, really, no one really cares what you do or how you make your money as long as you're making comics. It's, it's fine, yeah. you know, and they know that you have to take whatever opportunity you can get to make money because mm. those opportunities are thin on the ground, you know? It's not well, easy. Well, look at the, the whole webcomics phenomenon. You know, the main way that those people make their money is advertising and merchandise. 
and you know they will put their characters on anything and really that's no different from how what what uh, disney's done with star wars mm-hmm. i mean everything of the new star everything every product has been endorsed by the new star wars did you i know, send you the picture of those star wars oranges no it's literally <laughs> just like a packet of oranges and then it's got a little like thing a little like slip with like a picture of bb8 on it and it says star wars and there's no there's literally no difference no I, I I was disappointed that the oranges weren't sort of white and orange like BB-8 and you could get a, like a clementine. You could buy a pack of clementines and a pack of oranges and then put the clementine on top and then roll it around like BB-8. I think that has to be uh, a vernacular construction. I think that's something that you need to, you have to do. You I have to pursue that with your, your imagination. I'll be there um, bleaching white, white circles onto oranges. Yeah. Uh, then that's when I'll know you've truly broken down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, those. I mean, the webcomic guys. That that sort of idea of merchandising uh, and putting your images on things that don't really have anything to do with your work. That's no real different from uh, what what Disney does or what any big franchise does. And that was that was never questioned. You know, amongst that incredibly fruitful creative community. I used to read a lot of webcomics, not just sort of nerdy game ones, but there were a lot which were very artistic and and all sorts of things. And that was, as you say, that was accepted yeah. as the way that you made money because you sure as hell. I mean, you might if you get you got big enough, you might sell some books. Yeah, you collect uh, them into books, and people buy those. They might buy premium editions of them or whatever. They'll pay they'll pay a premium to get that from you at a con and for you to sign it or whatever. But yeah, a lot of the guys who we were reading in maybe the mid to to mid to late 2000s in web comics were all selling t-shirts on Topato yeah. Co and they would have like a big cartel store where they were selling to the UK and they were they were selling in America and the UK and there was this huge this huge market and they're still doing it but it's like t-shirts that have, might have some of the characters from the comics on but even then it's probably just using their same visual style to create a funny t-shirt and that's fine because if that's a way you make money to facilitate you making comics fine who cares as long yeah, as you're exactly. not making comics for like lockheed martin or someone you know <laughs> i'd love to see that perhaps yeah perhaps the idea of this idea of selling out is i don't know why it's changed i think it persists in a lot of places but i think it, it's an idea that persists but i think people don't really think about it as much but why, why it has changed is because the economy has changed really a lot i mean the idea of selling out comes from i think correct me if i'm wrong on this but from musicians and bands in particular signing to major labels when they were making enough money to live and to survive and to put their records out or whatever without them which yeah. now just doesn't exist in any art form really no it doesn't and it, i suppose also in that sense Selling out is handing over art to somebody else in order to make money because they are the gatekeepers. Um, whereas now there are far fewer gatekeepers. Or, well, no, there are still gatekeepers, but you can get around them. Whereas before it was kind of impossible. If you were a musician or a band that wished, wanted to put out your, your work and get to a big audience, you know, no amount of luck and talent would pay for all those cds or pay for all that airtime or whatever it was um and you had to use the gatekeepers and so it was a sort of faustian bargain but Mm. now getting it into a space where people can find it is not a problem anymore 
Um, and maybe that's why it's the idea of selling out is gone because now we we are able to be our own record labels and our own publishers. And so, and you know, obviously there are still gatekeepers because they're useful. They give you a lot of money. It's yeah. nice. You can sell yeah. out to yourself. That's the thing. Yeah, maybe I guess. And be your own gatekeeper. I think. I don't know. I think people have got to stop giving such a shit what other artists are doing and just do their own thing. Why yeah. do we care so much what other people are doing? We should just concentrate on doing what we like. It doesn't matter. They, we don't know every reason why someone might be conducting their life in a certain way. They may have good reasons for doing it that we don't understand. We should shut up and get on, get on with doing what we want to do. Spend more time making what we want to make. Because that's why we do it, isn't it? I mean, that's why... You and I, you know, sit for all hours doing 500 billion projects, half of which will never finish. It's because we like doing it. It's because we like having all of those things to do and exploring all of those possibilities, even if some of them never pan out. Yeah, I enjoy making comics. I enjoy telling stories through the medium of comics and songs. I have, I, I think, probably 50 to 60 songs backed up now from all things that I have never finished from, like, lyrics that I've jotted down or recordings on my iPhone I've gone oh that's a good idea for a song which is good because now I have a whole bank mm. of things that I can develop but I know that some of those will never will never get made and in a way that's sad but in a way that's good I don't know because I just like I was enjoying creating it in that moment and does it really matter if anyone else hears it I don't know that's kind of the big question about validation isn't it that we're now coming up against this idea of peak content that even though you can put your stuff out there you know and because everything is so infinitely measurable, if it's only got 20 plays on SoundCloud, does it matter? My opinion on that is no, it doesn't matter. Depends. If, if you're relying on your art to make you money, then yes, it does matter. To me, that's the only thing it matters for, is if you want to make money. Um, I suppose you want to influence people, but that's maybe the typical way of looking at your art. Even if you think... I have a manifesto that I want to put forward and I think people should listen to it. That's a very politicized way of thinking about your art. I think, so my, my stuff, I know that there's a lot of stuff that I make that nobody sees and, but I put it out there and I put all the documentation with it and I do all those things. And it's for me, I don't care. I'm the one who cares if it's out there and people can find it. And if literally only one person finds it, that's fine. If no people find it, that's fine. Um, I found it. Whatever, whatever you're talking about, they're <laughs> um, uh, on your on my wife's back Tumblr. Like, oh, there's loads of really wonderful stuff in there. It's like really rich and mixed media and stuff. Like, I mean, do you look at? Do you get any stats out of Tumblr? I don't know. I use Tumblr. Vaguely, oh, but I don't uh, know. you get a few stats. Uh, you don't get views. You get likes and notes and things. But I know not many people are looking at it, and that's fine. We'll I put mean, it. Really we'll put it in the show notes, and then they'll get yeah, lots okay. of lots of views. Well, that, that project is one that will probably never finish and it's just going to keep going. And actually, most of the stuff I put out there, I just like releasing stuff. The act of publishing is a powerful one, even if you, you're not publishing so that all the people who are waiting for it can see it. If you're just publishing so that your thing is out in the open web, even if nobody sees it, just the act of publishing is a powerful thing to do. And it can be a very clarifying thing for your art as well. Mm. And for the example you gave of the On My Wife's Back blog, you know, a lot of that stuff is just working through ideas that I have. And I'm committing them to the blog and sharing them in public. 
and they're tiny little hints of story that will come or, or, or features of the big story that will come later. Um, but I enjoy doing it because it gets me thinking about those things and combining them in weird ways. So it's for me, really. That's yeah. No, I agree. And showing your work is good. Do you know Austin Cleon, the guy who did that book, Steal, your, Steal Like an Artist? His second yes, book. Yes, the man who I try very hard not to, not to dislike. <laughs> I try very hard to like him. Yeah. Um, but I can't. I can't, Paddy. I, I'm not saying what he says is a load of rubbish, but he just, he just, I don't like how he comes across. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, his second book is called Show Your Work. You might find it more interesting than Steal Like an Artist because it's less aspirational in that way and more about kind of nuts and bolts creativity and about putting your stuff out there and about how the act of putting it out there is, you know, a therapeutic and a good thing because it doesn't matter if anyone engages with it. You put it out there and it's done. You move on to the next thing. You learn from it. You're constantly learning and constantly evolving. And then maybe one day, maybe a load of people will engage with it or you'll have some one golden idea that will kind of really take off. But, you know, mm. as long as you're showing your work, like I might put, I don't do it enough myself, I know, but I try and put like little bits of comics and sketches on Instagram if I'm working on stuff or, or whatever. I, th I I agree with him wholeheartedly, Matt. And I definitely feel that it's what you're also doing in releasing all this stuff or just putting it out there open and free of I, I try and keep I try and keep my stuff free of proprietary networks. It's one of the reasons why I don't use I mean I know Tumblr is a proprietary network, but everything I do on there is custom anyway. I've customized everything and I, I usually retain in all of the I retain all of the anyway um, but what you're doing there is you're contributing to the ideal of the internet which is a free exchange of ideas and not free in the sense that everything needs to be shared but that people are choosing to people are choosing to make things available to other people even if those other people don't know yet that they want it yeah, that's I mean, a good that's a good way to put it because you never go into it thinking I don't yet know what I want. You go into it thinking I want this. You open Netflix going I want to watch some great TV, but actually you don't know what's there until it's it's until you've found it. And the idea that there's this kind of infinite discovery out there for you is actually is quite a nice thing, even though you worry that I'm probably never going to hear all of the whiny indie bands that I would like because there are just too many of them. But no, you can't you can't complete the internet. Um, but but I'm hope but maybe my work will at a time I, I sincerely doubt that anybody in the world apart from me will read or experience the entirety of using on my wife's back as an example where when and if it's finished or even if it's not finished that anybody in the world will see it in its entirety but the fact that it exists I might be working on this on and off for the next 20 years 30 years and that availability and that publish that publishing is for me it's the only way i can really think i can really put it um yeah exactly you've got to do it for yourself and then the rest will follow if you if you try and do it for someone else i mean you, you should think about your audience but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to compromise on what you like or try to do things in a certain way if it doesn't come naturally to you like you have to do what feels natural to you mm, yeah I only I, I have to say though I don't really do a lot of thinking about audience which is probably a weakness of mine in terms of being an artist for a job um, 
I do think about my audience into, you know, sort of personally. I, try, I like having an, a relationship with people who like my work because they'll, I'll probably like them. Um, but I don't know. I'm I, later this, uh, well, probably later this spring, uh, I'm going to experiment with charging for some of my work for the first time, mm-hmm. um, which will be a short story with artwork that I'm just going to put up and see see how it how it does and try and make it as sumptuous as possible and maybe interactive and my career so far has been being paid to develop work that is eventually free yeah which, which is great yeah but, but not everyone can do that it's always been part of someone else's infrastructure right so for you to try and do that on your own terms is going to be a huge step and i'm interested to see that we'll see what happens i i mean again i'm lucky that even though I've had to do it around someone else's infrastructure, I've been pretty, everything I've done in that respect has been, I've been free to do what I want to do. There's been very little restriction, even though other people have been paying for it, which I know is not the experience of everyone working with other people. And I've been very lucky and it may not always be like that. And maybe it will be a big bump to earth. Yeah. When, when Lockheed Martin come and knock him, you're not going to say no, are you? No, they're going to flash all of their, all of their blood, all of their blood dollars, yeah. All of their missile, their missile dollars, and napalm, napalm cents. Yeah, I know. On my wife's back will be changed to on a missile's back, and then <laughs> it'll be content delivered exclusively through the medium of missiles. In- yeah, indeed, high-speed missiles delivered to your door. Yeah, or to your roof, <laughs> or drones. Drones. Yeah, drone, drone fiction. That's the next thing. The big, the next buzz. That's so that's where it's going to happen. You're going to have drones transmitting, transmitting. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, oh, maybe. the drone just comes and sort of knocks on your door and then shouts some story at you and then it flies off and then you've got to like remember it and write it down and try and go try and piece it together and then the next drone comes up at the window and then it's shouting something else. It's it's all coming together. Yeah, I'm this, not going to. This is where the big bucks are. In drone fiction. See, I just but said I... bucks. That's an Americanism. There we go. The big bucks. Yeah. I'll tell you one that that I do always kind of not not say is movie. I hate the word movie. Always use the word film, even though movie seems to have become common parlance in English. When I was growing up, it was always like you can't use the word movie; it's got to be film. I hate the word movie. I think that was probably some prejudice I picked up from my dad. But all of the all of the English cinema chains and things like that use movie now. I've noticed hmm. in, their, in their advertising. I think that we should with pounds we need we need a we need something like bucks for pounds i know we've got quid but maybe maybe for notes which have uh obviously the queen's face on them we should call them lady papers (laughs) lady papers you got some lady papers i think we should call them lady papers yeah well that that could be tens and then who's on is it elgar who's on the back of it I do not know. Who got any Elgars? Got any Elgar papers? Which one is Os- uh, is Jane Austen going to be on? Uh, the Fiver, I think. Is it the Fiver? Okay. Yeah, which is awesome. Despite despite all the death and rape threats that that got. Yeah, that's that's so something. awful. That's that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, we could do could do a whole podcast about things that are wrong with Twitter and social media and all that kind of thing. But yeah. Well, maybe when I'm slightly more depressed and ready for ready for such, yeah. such a conversation. We need to have an ang- an angry podcast. But this has been all right, actually. This has been good. We've we've got deep into into some topics. We've covered some some interesting things. I think. 
I think so. I didn't have I, to read I, out my list in the end, which is good. I mean, I don't really care that that you're recording this. So it's just nice to chat. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's good. That comes back to what I was saying about being natural and not trying to force anything. I think if if you if you if we come across as natural, people might enjoy listening to our conversations. And I'm going to put it out there, and I don't really mind too much whether we get that much of an audience or not. But it's something I'd like to try because I'm really into podcasts and in, really into these kind of conversational podcasts. I think so. Who knows? Okay. Well, hopefully, I don't come across like an arsehole, but then we'll see. Well, I'm sure we'll get emails and tweets about it if you do. That's okay. After the ones that explained to me all of the various stages of David Bowie and anything else yeah. that we've got wrong. There'll be a timeline first and then, uh, yeah, but hey, and it's nice just chatting, to be honest. I yeah, think. it is nice. Yeah. Can I tell you two other things that were on the list and then we can wrap yeah. up if you want? But you can. I put you always talk about best Carry train on. stations. Best train station. And best cheeses. Oh, I think I put a bunch of really serious stuff and then I sort of threw those two in the middle. Uh, okay, best cheese is a French Chaours. I think it's Chaours, which is a, I think it, I think it's a sheep's cheese, but a sheep's it, cheese. It, it stinks and it goes liquid at room temperature and it's fucking marvellous. So how, how do you eat it then? Do you have to sort of pour it onto something? Oh, you've or... got to stick, stick your nose in there and just just dig just standing at the fridge just get your face in the fridge i i I, you eat it with bread i don't know (laughs) i I eat it with bread oh you did bread like a like a warm camembert yeah i don't i don't think it's a cooking cheese really i don't think i i suppose you could use you could put it with hot pasta but um it's really a bread and wine sort of thing Mm. favorite train station that's quite a tough one i know we could we could think we could save that for next time we could that could be the cliffhanger well, let's talk about it next time. But it is difficult because actually, my favourite train stations are tied to the fact that train stations are quite emotional air spaces. They're quite emotional areas. You know, there's usually emotion attached to them because you're waiting there, either going to something important or coming from something important. And I'm usually in a funny frame of mind when I'm at a train station. Yeah, um, I'm either tired or I'm drunk or whatever it is. But let's talk about that next time. Yeah, or th- that's, we, could, we could do a subcategory of like your favorite train station to be drunk at. Okay, well, well let's do that. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, that's good. Train and I, do you I mind if work. I make some artwork? If I like draw both of our faces or something? Please, please attempt to render my my hideous face, please. Yeah, that would be. Do you, do you want me to draw, or maybe I'll just the the artwork would just be a picture of your thighs with like a Botox injection going into them, and then a cat trying to jump on and it falling off. It needs to be my legs with seven sets of hips. Oh yeah, if it's seven hips, or maybe we should change the name of the podcast to Seven Hips. Yeah, okay, we'll call it Seven Hips. Actually, that sounds like a sort of early two thousands metal band, doesn't it? Seven Hips. It does. It does. Seven crazy hips. Hi, we're seven crazy hips. Thirty-seven crazy hips. <laughs> Are they still going? Thirty-six crazy fists. Yeah, do you they're from Alaska. Thirty-six. I put thirty-seven. Yeah. They were, yeah, they were Alaskan, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Their guitarist once said in an interview in Kerrang. This shows how good my memory is of Kerrang. That there was nothing else to do in Alaska apart from play guitar. So he played guitar. It's like, I think oh, it that, snowed again. Maybe that's why you get so many great Icelandic bands. Mm. There's, there's very little else to do. I don't know. I've never been to Iceland. I really want to go. I imagine there is quite a lot to do. Yeah, but I it's have been. Cool in the dark, so 
uh, apart from in summer where it's very cold and sunny. I yeah. don't know. When we I went to Reykjavik know. a few years ago, we, we were just sort of in the town and there was this one tiny record shop and there was just like a pop-up gig going on there with this wonderful band who were playing sort of Casio keyboards and doing some very nice hollering. It seems like there's, yeah, there's that stuff kind of oozing out of the cracks in Iceland. It's lovely. I'm looking forward to going whenever I go. Yeah. Oh, all right then. Well, let's uh, let's do this again. Yeah. Same time next week. Cool. We'll yeah. try and make it weekly, and maybe I'll I'll like rec- we'll record it at this time, and then I'll aim to put it out on like Friday, and if not, maybe the Monday after. I don't know. We'll see. Because I'll I may, do some editing I and art. To, and... I may not be able to do it weekly, but um, I'll let you know. Yeah, it will just be a whatever weekend thing. Okay. Cool. But yeah, get get your diary out and let me know when the next one will be good. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll check it out. Um, we need a sponsor as well. You should think about sponsorship. Lock That's another way you can get money. <laughs> Lockheed Martin. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Sorry, sorry, Lockheed Martin. <laughs> maybe if we just maybe if we just start saying sponsored by Lockheed Martin, it will come true. Oh yeah, like how um Charlie Brooker once mentioned Greg's in a column, and then they sent him like a huge box of pasties the next day or something. Maybe they'll send a whole box of cruise missiles. Yeah, I I want those. I could use them around the house. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we could use one as a a lampstand, another one as a bike rack. Yeah, I need something to prop up my bed. It's falling apart. A bookable cube, that would be good. Yeah. (laughs) Garden tools. Uh, yeah, garden. Yeah, I could use one as a hoe or a rake. Yeah, this could be the the podcast of one hundred and one different uses for missiles. Yeah, which I yeah. guess would be a I'll good to... one for Lockheed Martin to sponsor. <laughs> yeah, that that they might actually be interested in that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then. All right. Well, well, it's been great talking to you. Then. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll speak to you soon. Hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Well. All right. Bye. Bye.